Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Your Grain Matters podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jason, and I'm here with uh, Neil, your host. Hello. Hello. Um, why don't you tell us what we can expect from this week's episode? Hi, everybody. I'm glad to have you here at Your Grain Matters. This week, we're going to explore recognizing oncoming mental illness challenges for those who you care about who are getting older or perhaps for yourself as you get older. We're excited to have Dr. Robin Waxman on with us. She is a top-level geriatric psychiatrist. But as you know, with Your Grey Matters, we look at things that I call miraculous. What I mean by that is not religiously. I mean advances in technology, things that human beings have invented for the betterment of people technology, environment, it could be health issues like today. Whenever you hear me say that word, well, I know, and you've heard me say this, that the human mind cannot be defeated. We come up yep. with these great, great things. Yep. That's what I mean by miraculous. That's awesome. Yeah, because it does come up a little bit today. You mentioned that some people have um, asked you about your usage of that word. So thank you for explaining it to us. So that sounds um, really interesting. So enjoy this week's episode, everybody. Remember to like and subscribe or follow if you haven't done that already. And uh, stay tuned for the episode coming up right now. Bye, everybody. Hi, everybody. I'm Neil Silver from Your Gray Matters. At Your Gray Matters, as you know, we love to explore ideas, solutions, miracles, I call them, that already exist. These are things that maybe can help you in your life and in other people's lives. Today, we're really privileged to have Dr. Robin Waxman with us. We wanted to explore mental illness, changes that we may see or that we may see in others as we get older. We hear words like Alzheimer's and other mental illnesses. Robin is one of the leading specialists in this world in these topics. I've learned from Robin that there's even equipment that can help with people who are finding that they're having challenges. Let me introduce you to Robin Waxman. I'm gonna read this bio because it's pretty tremendous. And thank you, Robin, or shall I call you Dr. Waxman? <laughs> Dr. Waxman is a geriatric psychiatrist. She graduated from the University of Toronto and has been practicing for 13 years at a great hospital called Ontario Shore Center for Mental Health Sciences. Ontario Shores is a tertiary, we're gonna try and find out what that word is, mental health center located on the shores of Lake Ontario and it's in Whitby, it's pretty local. She's involved with inpatient and outpatient mental health care, and she's the medical head of the Brain Stimulation Clinic, which incorporates treatments, very specialized treatments that I'm going to ask Dr. Waxman to explain to us. And she's an assistant professor at U of T and Queen's University. Thank you, Dr. Waxman. Welcome to Your Gray Matters. We are totally privileged to have you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I Thank love talking you. about 
my work. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, your work saves lives. And uh, may, I would imagine that your life actually makes it easier for families and friends of people who are facing these challenges, who are afflicted. And we want to learn more about that today. Tell me, what is geriatric psychiatry? What is it that you do? Yes. So, and a lot of people have that question, right? What exactly does a geriatric psychiatrist do? Well, it's actually considered now a subspecialty of the psychiatry program. So essentially the path is you get an undergraduate degree, you go into medical school, you choose a residency in psychiatry, which is a five-year program, but becoming a four-year program. And if you want to work with seniors and have that subspecialty designation, it's a two-year subspecialty program that you have to apply to once you're almost completing your general residency program. When I became a geriatric psychiatrist, I was grandfathered in. There wasn't um, an extra training you had to do, but I did have to write a Royal College examination in geriatric psychiatry specifically. Hmm. So there's a lot of education, a lot of time that you've put into this just in getting the right to be able to practice in this field. I don't know that I ever realize or understand the depth of, of, of uh, illness, but also the health that our brain has and the intricacies of it. And I think that uh, the fact that you've studied so much and worked so hard uh, really is my way of understanding just how deep this is. Tell me, what's your day like? Yeah, exactly. And you make a good point, right? It wasn't really considered uh, different from the rest of psychiatry, but now it's really being recognized as something we need extra training for because seniors are different from general adults. So what's my day like? I Every day is a little bit different. Um, I go into the hospital. I mostly do, as you mentioned, inpatient work. So I'll meet with the team. And that's one of the reasons I love geriatric psychiatries because you can't help seniors unless you're part of a team. And I really feel like I'm one part of the team. Um, sometimes the leader, but not necessarily. We all have our voice. I work with social workers, nurses, pharmacists, occupational therapists, physiotherapists. Uh, oh. You know, there's a recreational therapist. So it's a whole team that comes together and we spend the morning reviewing the patients, how everybody's doing and what the goals of care are and our plan to get them as well as possible and hopefully back home or to a long-term care home, depending what their needs are. So I spend my time, much of my time is face-to-face -face with my patients. We also have students from the university that I get to teach and they'll join me on my day. I have lots of meetings that I attend looking at quality standards. So we want to look at the best care pathways. So depending on what illness you have, let's say it's depression, that you're going to go through a standard care pathway to make sure everyone gets high quality evidence-based care for whatever condition they're dealing with. Um, another big part of my day is the brain stimulation area, which I you mentioned in my bio and I can tell you more about. But once a week, um, I run electroconvulsive therapy for patients and I can tell you more about that. And I also see many patients for consultation and follow-up who are receiving transcranial magnetic stimulation. So I can give you more details about those interventions. So, so Robin, now that I know that you're working 25 hours a day, nine yeah. days a week, what you're really telling me is that this is a huge field. I guess as we age, we're all facing changes. And what what you're telling me is that while you're doing this incredible work with this massive and wonderful team, 
the research must be nonstop. We just have to be learning things every single day about ourselves and, and those who we love and care about it. It's just got to be ongoing. Yeah. And thank, thankfully, there is more focus on aging and aging successfully and putting money into research and understanding that because, you know, Canada, the population is aging. I mean, the numbers by 2036, one quarter of the Canadian population will be over 65. Wow. That's a huge number. And the people, the proportion over 80 is growing and growing and growing, right? So we know we're living longer and there's yeah. more and more seniors. So, you know, I think we're recognizing we really need to understand how to help people age successfully. And we're lucky at my hospital, we're getting more funding and support to do research, to better understand how to keep people doing well and prevent disease and morbidity. Yeah, very important. And actually, people who have been following your Gray Matters uh, realize that a lot of my background is in the financial world. And in fact, a lot of the financial world that is helping seniors to do what they seem to want to do, which is to age in a healthy manner in their own home. And even for myself, uh, I'm going to be 70 uh, early next year. And I'm all, I go along, I have a great life, I'm with my friends, but you start to recognize changes. Could be physical, could be mental changes. Very interesting, but this whole idea of living out your life in your home is a big factor, but thanks to people like you, lots of people are able to do it. And, yeah. and it's really, really interesting. Let me ask you, in your opinion, how can we ensure that our gray matter stays as healthy as possible, what can individuals do to stay there, remain successfully yeah. healthy? Yeah, great question. I mean, there's lots of things that we can do to age successfully, to stay well, to keep our gray matter as healthy and plump as possible. So some of the main things are really common sense things, lifestyle factors. So I always say whatever's good for the heart is good for the brain. So if you're exercising regularly it doesn't have to be for a long time but some kind of form of movement every day if you're eating healthy you know a balanced diet if you're avoiding things like alcohol and we know now the jury's out that even small amounts of alcohol um, can really have a detrimental effect over the years on the brain wow um, smoking right so avoiding smoking treating things like diabetes high cholesterol high blood pressure all those things that will keep the brain healthy to prevent little strokes will really be helpful and keeping your brain stimulated so we know that the more education people have the healthier their brain so learning something new learn taking an, a course learning a trying to learn parts of a new language whatever it is that's going to keep your brain active is going to help prevent changes in the brain over time um, and the biggest thing for successful aging that's been studied is your activity so there's a you know, a, a curve that shows the more activity you do, the better you're aging. And that could be solitary activity or social activity. Both are important to provide meaning and stimulation to the brain. Hmm. So in other words, live life properly. Keep doing what you're doing, or if you're not doing it, make these changes as quickly as you can. But I think that the bottom line is continue to try to have fun and learn something every day. And try a you sit got it and try uh i find myself i'm i'm out of the push-up and the uh sit-up uh time of my life but i do a lot of walking and, and walking's huge that's so important 
Yeah, I, I've been told that a half hour a day for seniors is a good good uh, thing to do. And I guess like chicken soup can't hurt. Uh, you got to do it. Well, that that's fascinating. You know, I said to you that even I've noticed small changes. Friends of mine have noticed it. Let me ask you, if we're a senior, we're going through changes or we're in the care of people who we love. Uh, I still have my mom. She's going to be 91. My bride's mom is 92 already. And I have to ask you, what are we looking for in ourselves? What might we notice in other people? What changes might trigger a, a, an awareness that something is happening? Yeah, so there are changes that are expected to happen as we age, right? We know that. Like, we're not going to always feel and look how we do when we're 20. So our body on the outside and inside is changing. Our kidney functioning goes down every decade. You know, our heart isn't as strong, uh, you know, as we get into our sixth, seventh, eighth decade. Our blood vessels do harden a bit, so our blood pressure goes up. So there are changes that happen to the body, and they're going to happen to the brain as well. So things that we can expect to be different is that our processing speed as we age does get slower. So it doesn't mean as we age that we can't learn new things or do similar things to our younger counterparts, but it might take us longer, right? Longer to learn something new, even though we still can learn something new. It's also expected that to find words or things that we once knew to pull them out of our brain might take a little bit longer. That might be a little bit harder. Hmm. We might need more clues or cues to help us pull those things out of our brain. Whereas maybe 20 years earlier, we easily remember what we wanted to talk that's, about. or remember That's fascinating, that's fascinating. But if it's beyond those things, if people are, you know, over time, really forgetting things that they used to know, not remembering what they're doing day to day, losing things, getting lost, um, not recognizing things that they once, once knew, you know, those are things that are not as common and maybe more concerning. And that's when you should definitely be talking to your doctor, your family doctor. For those who are lucky to have one, it's very mm -hmm. challenging these days even to have a primary care provider. Yeah. But those are the people you should be talking to. And if you see that in a friend or even, even in yourself, they used to think that if you notice changes in yourself, it can't be dementia, it can't be Alzheimer's. But that's not true. People actually can have awareness of changes happening to their own memory or cognitive functioning. And the earlier you seek help, the better it will be to slow down the progression of those changes. Oh, fabulous. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. So what's some of the main conditions that you treat and what treatment options are you using? Yeah, so I'm lucky. I get to see a wide variety of conditions. Essentially, as a geriatric psychiatrist, I'm seeing what any psychiatrist would see, but it's in seniors. Plus, I see all the dementias or what we call major neurocognitive disorders. That's the new term for dementia. Mm -hmm. So the main things that I see are depression, so which is part of mood disorders. There's two main mood disorders, depression and then bipolar disorder, which okay. used to be called manic depression, where you can have both ends of the spectrum, a high and a low. I treat a wide variety of anxiety disorders like very common in seniors is something called generalized anxiety disorder. People who are like worry warts, anxious, restless, uptight, often apprehension for things to come, find it hard to settle. Um, I treat things like substance use disorders. You know, people, the baby boomers are aging. 
right? As you know, and people we are. <laughs> yeah. So alcohol use disorders, marijuana, cannabis issues, prescription pills, all those types of things people can get addicted to, even if they were prescribed for a re a legitimate reason where they needed those medications, uh, it can become a problem. And then the other big area, as I mentioned, was the major neurocognitive disorders. So people who are having changes in their ability to do their day-to-day -day things because of changes in their brain, because of cognitive changes. And depending on the condition, there's really treatment algorithms or care pathways to treat each condition. So mm -hmm. there's evidence-based. We have really good quality standards at my hospital and also just quality standards in psychiatry and geriatric psychiatry on how to treat the conditions that you see, what medications or therapies have the most evidence to treat those conditions. Wow, fascinating. I wanted to ask you uh, something that just popped into my head now is, what is the intake process like for a patient to uh, be accepted into your hospital? So you notice something in yourself or your someone who you love. Uh, hopefully, you've seen your initial medical practitioner. But what happens from there, Robin? Yeah. Well, so what are, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you call me whatever you like. Thanks. So yeah, tertiary. You're asking about what's tertiary means. So really, our hospital was set up to help people who weren't getting better in secondary or more acute care settings, so that they come to us. If you're in your local general hospital and you're not getting better within a certain amount of time because there's such a, a demand, right, for bed space and to be able to have that flow from emergency to the, to the units. So if those people on the unit aren't getting better fast enough, they get transferred to our hospital huh. because we have an expected longer length of stay and more of a rehabilitation focus where we have that time and the expertise to help people who aren't improving in the standard way at an acute care setting. Now, we've expanded beyond that since I started working at Ontario Shores to also helping people who aren't necessarily in acute care. So right from your family doctor or nurse practitioner, you can be referred to Ontario Shores for an assessment by a psychiatrist. I see. And we even have self-referral programs as well for certain psychotherapies. Hmm. So, you know, there is there is help. It's just knowing... There are lots of doors, but knowing where to knock sometimes is the issue. And anyone can look at our website, ontarioshores.ca, uh, to figure out how to get the help that they need. I think what you're saying, too, is that, and I don't know if this is still an issue, but with misunderstanding comes embarrassment. And there's nothing embarrassing to recognize changes in yourself or in someone else and, and to reach out for help. And I, I think acceptance of these changes is much greater nowadays than maybe when even I was a, a much younger guy. And I think it's so important, which is part of why we're doing this today. There's no embarrassment in any of this. It's just what happens to us, I guess. Exactly. And it always helps, right, when there's celebrities or figures out there who might be talking about their own personal struggles with various illnesses that can happen as you age or just in general. And that can destigmatize. And you know, in psychiatry, we have a long history of stigma and and things probably that we're not happy or we're not proud of from our past, like every area of medicine. And we're always learning and growing and doing the best we can. But our philosophy at our hospital is a real it's called recovery focused care, where we're really working with the patient with what their goals are, right? Oh. And trying to help them achieve their goals. 
and uh, it's a newer philosophy and it's really valuable, I think, in our field. Well, sure, because it, it, it allows someone to live in their own self-worth and tells them that they're important, that they're credible and that 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 their their life means something to themselves and to others. It's a very important thing that you just mentioned. We don't have to hide people away in closets, which I heard happened a long time ago. And must have been terrible for people. Thank God. Yeah, I'm so happy to practice now. Yeah, exactly. And that, that leads me to a question that, again, I just thought of, you know, you're uh, stimulating my mind. Thanks. I'll be able to get through the day today. And the thing that I'm really curious about is, as I look at other fields, uh, accounting, mechanical, anything where people use their hands, it's hard to find new ones. It's hard to find new mechanics. It's hard to find new accountants. And I'm curious, are we seeing a growing, steady, uh, graduating class of people headed into doing what you're doing? Will we have enough doctors in the future looking into your area of expertise? I think it's much better than it used to be. You know, there was a time when there was only one geriatric psychiatrist, right, in all of Canada. And wow. he had to do training in England because we didn't even have that training here. Wow. So, yes, it's because it's been recognized as a subspecialty and we get to intervene and teach the students at, you know, when they're really ripe and excited and learning different areas. I think that we definitely are having a mark on future generations and they're wanting to work with seniors, wanting to explore this field. So I'm very hopeful uh, that we're going to have lots of lots more people entering geriatric psychiatry, especially and helping seniors. Yeah, and well, we're and more people want to stay working longer, which yeah. is the other night, right? So yeah. we're not retiring as as quickly as we used to. We're working harder because we know that's good for our brain um, to be stimulated and engaged and doing things. So that's going to help as well. So it's funny what you say. I was recently talking to a business colleague of mine. We were catching up over many, after many years of not seeing each other. And what he wanted to know is, am I retired? And I said, well, I don't know what retired is, but I don't think I am. I'm still doing a lot of stuff. And his reaction was, that's great. I never want to retire. I just want control of what I can do every day. And there's a big difference in that. And and I thought it was a very smart uh, comment on his part, whether you really don't work and you golf all day or whatever, or you really do want to run a number of businesses, but you're having a ball. I think it doesn't yeah. matter as long as we can have our health. Yeah. And we know that exactly that doing activity that's meaningful, that makes you feel purpose. And one, this person, always, this uh, board member told me years ago and always stuck with me, you have to look at retirement as like another career, Yeah, you know, and that's really the healthiest ways that you're always setting goals for yourself. You have routine, you have structure, all that is very conducive to leading a healthy, happy life. Absolutely. We were given a brain and, and a health system. We might as well make use of it. And now we talk on this show, Dr. Waxon, about miracles, technology, things that exist that maybe people are not aware of. I'm told I'm using the word miracle too often, but the truth is technology to me is miraculous in so many ways, as are people like yourself. Can you tell me about some of the different uh, medical equipments? I don't even know if those are words that you use. You mentioned ECT, you mentioned TMS. What are those? What do they do? And who are they for? Sure. Yes, I love talking about 
ECT, just as much as I love talking about seniors. <laughs> so ECT has been around for almost 100 years now. It stands for electroconvulsive therapy. So essentially, it's giving electrical energy to the brain. Uh, very similar to when you think of saving someone's heart, if there's a bad rhythm or they're flatlining, right? What do you see? We're giving electricity. And that's what's helping the heart revive itself, get the rhythm back properly. So it's really essentially the same thing we're doing for the brain. And it is miraculous. It really is the one miraculous thing I can say that we do in psychiatry because people can be extremely depressed, not want to live, not able to get out of bed, and it can bring them back to their normal life. So, and I've seen that many times over. And that was one of the main reasons that I wanted to become a psychiatrist was because of how life-saving electroconvulsive therapy can be. Now, on the other side, it unfortunately is one of the main reasons there's a stigma to psychiatry because in the media and many movies have portrayed it in a more barbaric way and mm -hmm. used it for patients that weren't really meant to have ECT. So we never, the public never got a really accurate um, portrayal of what ECT is or how it's done, especially in modern times. It's meant for people who are severely depressed, who are very unwell, you know, there's safety concerns, they might want to end their life, they might not be eating and drinking enough because they're so depressed. Or for people who have had depression and they're not responding to other treatments that generally will work. So for those that we call treatment resistant. Mm -hmm. So in those particular cases, it's extremely helpful. It can also help patients with schizophrenia. I didn't mention before, I see a lot of patients with schizophrenia as well, which is when you have psychotic symptoms, you're out of touch mm -hmm. with reality. Mm -hmm. And that was the, it was first used for a patient actually with schizophrenia and worked very well. Nowadays, the patient is put to sleep completely. They're unaware that they're getting this treatment and they're essentially asleep and having a small short seizure in their sleep. And with a half an hour, within a half an hour to 45 minutes, they're awake and going to have breakfast. So wow. we have a team that we collaborate with of anesthesiologists that put you to sleep. We work with them. So generally, other than the IV, it's a painless procedure with mm. wonderful benefits. For sure, it has potential side effects like any treatment does. But in almost all the cases, the benefits outweigh those side effects for people that have it. Wow. T TMS is another type of neurostimulation, but it's using magnetic energy. So ECT is electrical. Oh. TMS is magnetic. Mm. And you're awake for this procedure. You're not put to sleep. And it's meant for patients who aren't as ill, though, as the ones who might need electroconvulsive therapy. So it's patients who maybe aren't responding to medication, but there are symptoms of depression. And it's mainly for depression and some anxiety disorders are, you know, not remitting with usual treatment and they're more moderate, but still impacting their quality of life and their functioning. And it's essentially using magnetic pulses to stimulate the parts of the brain that are implicated in depression wow. and yeah and the treatment is only three minutes long it used to be 35 minutes 37 minutes <laughs> and with new technology like you said miraculous they've been able to you know condense it into a three-minute treatment and i'm actually involved in a special um study looking at giving that treatment multiple times a day so that patients don't have to come for weeks on end and it seems to be working just as well as the regular treatment my God, so people can start to recognize change pretty quickly. 
Yeah, it can take time. You know, I always say to patients, you didn't get depressed necessarily overnight, right? It took time. Mm -hmm. So to get better takes time too. Um, but yes, it, we have these promising technologies that especially when people don't like medication, there are sometimes side effects. If they're not tolerating them, it's a great alternate option. It's always, I always talk about my toolbox, right? We all have our toolboxes and the tools we're used to using to do our jobs. And so this is like another tool in my toolbox that I can use to help people. Is that a relatively new tool? It's actually been around for about several decades. Really? But in terms of treating people with mental health conditions, it's a bit newer. And in terms of being able to access it, it's newer. So when I was a resident 15 years ago, it was just kind of something we were learning that might be, you know, something we could offer patients, but only really offered in private clinics. You'd have to pay for it. It's still more research focused, but at my hospital at Ontario Shores and other hospitals in the Toronto area, you can get clinical access and not have to be part of research to get the treatment. Wow. Is this covered, these treatments, are they covered under OHIP or? So they're not covered under OHIP right now, but often the hospital is able to figure out a way to subsidize it so that patients don't need to pay. Ah, wonderful. I wanted to, um, we're, we're coming to the end of this, and I thank you so much, Dr. Waxman. This is amazing. My pleasure. I, I've been curious about degrees of things that people feel. I, I have friends who in passing say, gee, I feel low today. I feel depressed today. I think depressed is a wrong word because it suggests something more maybe than it is or doesn't suggest enough. Can you talk a bit about depression what it is for a few minutes and why maybe people, I, I want to know how people might recognize whether it really is or it really isn't. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Cause you're right. We use, we throw around these terms all the time. Right. And whether it's clinical or not is really the question. And the big distinction, whether it's clinical or just something you're feeling for a moment or because something bad happened is the pervasiveness of it and how long it's lasting and how severe it is. So we all have a day where we don't feel as good, where we feel more tired, where we don't feel like doing things, you know, so that's normal and expected as part of our experience as humans. Depression clinically means that for at least two weeks, you're having a low almost all the time. Like most of the time you're feeling low. You're not interested in doing your usual things that you normally like and get pleasure from. And in addition to that, you need to have five other symptoms um, that go along with those changes in your mood. So wow. you need to have a change in your sleep, either sleeping more, sleeping less, a change in your appetite, either go up or down. You need to have maybe thoughts of worthlessness, inability to focus or make decisions wow. and thoughts of, and the extreme, even thoughts of not wanting to live anymore. And depression doesn't generally happen out of the blue. It's often triggered by a stressor, by a loss, by a change. Yeah, it's not something that just happens. So when you meet people, they'll say, yes, I lost my partner. I lost a job. I had a breakup with a boyfriend, whatever it might be. And that it almost is like it leads to an inflammatory response in the brain to those who are genetically susceptible, right? Mm -hmm. Someone else could go through the exact same stressor and not get depressed, mm -hmm. right? So, so I guess, again, it, it, it's so worthwhile to understand these things and recognize things in ourselves that, that maybe things are happening, they're being triggered, and we don't think much about them. But awareness, I guess, is never a bad thing. 
being aware. oh yeah the more knowledge we have the better we're you know we're, we're better off for sure and then we can help other people when we're seeing them maybe going through these things right and we have that awareness and it's really interesting because i guess first step as you said very earlier in this uh podcast is if you notice something and you're not sure you're not clear you don't have to guess you, if you have a a medical professional, a, a doctor, it's good just to call and make an appointment. Yeah. And if you're worried about somebody, tell them what you notice, right? Yeah. And from a caring, non-judgmental way, you can just say, I notice you're not wanting to come out as much anymore. Uh, we really miss you. Is there something going on? This this kind of thing can happen. And once people start talking about it, you realize, you know, these experiences aren't uh, seldom, you know, they happen often. To, mm -hmm. Many people can experience a depression at some point in their lives and thankfully there's really good treatment for it and you don't need to be suffering yeah well thank you i just want to ask you one other question because uh i was speaking uh uh with my bride yesterday and she said something because i mentioned earlier that, that both she and i have elderly mothers thank god and they're they're able to live on their own but uh how she put it is what happens when gray hairs are taking care of white hairs and I thought yeah. that was a great way of putting it. But we do notice um, different things that maybe haven't happened to we gray hairs yet that maybe are happening to white hairs. And is it basically the same rules? If you see something, try and see a doctor or hopefully they're under medical care. Maybe you'd comment on that. Yeah, no, it's it's a big issue, right? So the sandwich generation, it's even more than this what we used to consider sandwich because uh, you know, at your stage of life, you have your elderly mother, plus you have your own children, and then you have grandchildren that your yep. kids want you to help with. So yep. you have multiple different people um, with demands for your time and energy. And we know that informal caregiving, so essentially caregivers who are usually family and friends who aren't paid, right? Mm -hmm. This is just part of them wanting to help a family member or a friend. It's a, you know, it's a growing population in Canada, but one in four people over the age of 15 consider themselves an informal caregiver. Wow. And these are people who could still be working and have their own obligations. Uh, and they're studying this group because there's concern about these caregivers, right? There's right. this extra demand on them, which also can be actually very gratifying and rewarding. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, there's two ways to look at it. And most of the caregivers find that the benefits outweigh the negatives and the demands, but you have to be in check with yourself about the demands that are put on you, right? And have that balance between what you're doing for your loved one being gratifying and rewarding and giving you purpose, and at the same time being too stressful because you have your own uh, obligations. Sure. And I'm always very, you know, anytime I see a, a patient, I'm always very keen to ask their caregiver how are you doing that's part of my assessment yes. because I know caregivers are at risk of getting depressed and anxious because it can be an all-consuming role yeah. and so you yeah I want to I always want to take care of the caregiver they're just as important as the patient because they're the caregiver <laughs> exactly you know it's amazing what I've learned today I hope other people have too we're learning so much every day we are living longer we do have this hope to control our lives as quickly as we can uh, and stay in our own homes if at all possible. But I have to say the caregivers and the professionals like yourself are making this path, I, I think, much easier and it will just get better and better. Dr. Waxman, I like calling you Robin. 
we want to thank you today. This has been so important. Uh, your Gray Matters is a play on words, this gray hair. I always tell people whether you have gray hair or no hair or your hair is red, but come on, we know what's under that. Um, the truth is we have different things coming at us at our ages and uh, there's help. And you're a big part of that help. I thank you for coming on. I bless you for what you do. And uh, I wish you uh, nothing but total success and, and just thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me and giving me the opportunity to speak about my passion. <laughs> okay. Take care. And we will see you soon, I hope, but not professionally. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Your Gray Matters podcast. The Your Gray Matters podcast was created by Neil Silvert and Jason Silvert, written and hosted by Neil Silvert, edited by me, Jason Silvert, and produced by Neil Silvert and Jason Silvert. Please follow us on any major podcast platform, watch us on YouTube, like and subscribe, and email us at yourgraymatterspod at gmail.com with any questions or feedback. Thanks for listening. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of the Your Gray Matters podcast. The material and information presented here is for general information purposes only. The Your Gray Matters podcast name and all forms and abbreviations are the property of its owner and its use does not imply endorsement of or opposition to any specific organization, product or service.